Hello and welcome to another episode of Sensational She Geek live from Yancey Street. Today is Friday, November 19th, 2021. It is two months from my birthday and this is episode 41B. This will be a pretty fun episode because we did just this morning and just a couple of days ago get the February 2021 solicitations for Marvel and DC Comics. So we have both of those to go over. I'll be going over things that are new number one things that are continuing that are noteworthy and anything else relevant that I am interested in. And the reason I just wanted to get this in there before I lose people, the reason that I go over the solicitations each time that we get them out for a new month uh, is a couple of reasons why. First off, when you hit a certain level of, let's say, confidence in your comic book reading, you're going to start recognizing creator names, writer names, artist names, things like that. And I try to include as much of that as I can, especially for the new stuff that's going to be coming out starting in each month that I'm talking about for solicitations. Um, because then you, you, as the listener, hopefully will start to recognize the names as well, um, see things coming in advance, seeing trends with the creators. If you have any creators who you follow, you'll hear those names before the issue is out or before the, the order deadline is out, so you'll be able to get those issues that you're interested in for the creators. Um, it's also helpful to preview what's coming next in the world of the comics and at least vaguely keep up with relevant information on characters and arcs that you're interested in. Um, if you also, the listener, find something that strikes your fancy more than usual, I that's another reason I like to keep going through the things that are starting up new each month so that if anybody just hasn't had something that they've has clicked with them, maybe, you know, there's something new that will. And as I kind of mentioned earlier, uh, each month's orders for any month's comics have to be in over a month prior to their release. It's closer to two months that these orders deadlines are. So knowing what's coming in advance is pretty important for regular readers, especially if you're following certain story arcs that you would really like to keep up with um, and you're not sure if your comic shop will have them. So those are some of the reasons why I like to go over the solicitations for each coming month as they are announced. Um, and I hope that it is in some way helpful or interesting to you. Other than that, uh, that's actually going to be the last thing that we cover in the episode. We're going to start, as usual, with news, which is going to cover, uh, at, at the front of it, it's going to cover a number of just announcements and reminders before we have one bit of news for Netflix's live-action Avatar, uh, a bit of news of Harry Potter, of all things, and some Ahsoka casting news that is actually very recent that just dropped a few minutes ago. As usual, after that, we'll go into the comic book picks. For this week, I did actually get a chance to read most of the week's comics before filming this B episode. So uh, we're going to start it off with the hashtag Poison Ivy Watch, which is going to cover material from Batman's Secret Files, The Gardener, which was a one-shot that came out this week, and James Tynion's last Batman issue with number 117. Um, that will probably be taking up the bulk of the comic book pick list. Um... Son of Kal-El number five, Radio Apocalypse number one, the Vampirella Holiday Special, which was actually three separate stories, fun fact, Wonder Woman Evolution number one, Dark Ages number three, and Porcelain number four are the other comics that we'll be covering pretty briefly for all of them, but um, I really liked all of those, so I felt that they were all worth mentioning in one way or another. 
Then the last thing that I'll talk about before getting into the solicitations for Marvel and DC Comics in February is that Tuesday release No Way Home trailer. <laughs> I don't have too much to say about it. I definitely don't have too much good to say about it. Um, but I'm not going to get all crazy and hate hate hater-ish hateful on it. Um, I'm just going to be honest about how I feel about it as a person who has read a lot of Spider-Man comics and who has been a fan of comics for most of my life. So this is just my response. I don't have too much to say for it. So don't, don't be prepared for a long, long rant. It's just going to be some brief things. Um, cause I wasn't really a fan of that trailer. <laughs> there were some funny bits, but I wasn't, but in any case, um, we'll go ahead and get started with uh, my usual intro here. If you would like to find me on Instagram, um, if you're finding me online, you can find me on Instagram. My username is Anna with the comics. My Twitter username is Savage She Geek, and my website is sensationalshegeek.weebly.com. All of these things are linked or tagged in the bottom of each episode's description, so it's there if you um, would like to just find links to it to make it easier there. But on my website, if you end up there at any point in time, what you can find there is the all of the blogging and writing that I did previous to starting this podcast um, and now everything that I would be writing about I just put into the podcast because it is a lot more convenient than writing a single review for every single comic that I read each week. But that's what I used to do on the website so you can find all of that previous stuff on there if you would like to go back and read all of what I used to write for my site. You can also find reading orders for some of my favorite female characters including some of them um, Madeline and Ileana, Madeline Pryor and Ileana Rasputin, who are going to become very relevant in the Marvel Universe soon, and Clea, who is joining the Marvel Cinematic Universe in Multiverse of Madness. If you'd like to know about their characters, I have a ton of integral information on them on those reading orders. I also have my pod notes, which I'm very behind upon posting once again, uh, for reading along with the podcast instead of listening to it, if you prefer um, that for just regular listeners or for people who are hearing impaired who would like to keep up with the podcast that is available for them as well. Um, the last thing you can find are links to everywhere that you can listen to the podcast. For some reason, Spotify skipped episode 40. Um, not sure why, but 41A is up there. So sorry if you missed that episode on Spotify. I'm not sure what that was all about. I never got an answer for my help email. So yay. <laughs> but YouTube is another place that I have all of my podcast episodes in a single playlist in order so they're easy to find. And I also post action figure review videos. The 2020 HasLab Sentinel, the Marvel Legends Tigra, Greer Grant, and the Shadow Meow Skulls from Fortnite. Uh, public disclosure notice, I did not, I do not play Fortnite, just FYI. Uh, but those are my most recent reviews. Uh, plus I did this morning, or actually yesterday, a tour of our comic, our comic, our action figure collection under Blacklight, <laughs> which I'm not gonna lie, was super fun to record and I hope you get some amount of enjoyment from it. I will also be doing a video covering Captain Carter, who we've had unboxed here for a week or so already, but she deserves a review. She is fantastic. 
I also have a podcast Patreon under Sensational She Geek, so that's easy to find. It's set up for monthly donations to support the podcast. Nothing is ever expected. Um, if you turn it on and turn it off for some months and other months, you know, it's I'm never going to message you and call you out on it. Um, honestly, I don't really pay attention to it for the most part, which I really should because I would probably get more involvement. Um, but it's there in case you have any desire for that to, to donate to the podcast that way. I also have my uh, Ko-fi, Cash App, Venmo, and PayPal all linked on my link tree, which again, it should appear linked at the bottom of every episode description. Um, I am kind of hoping uh, that this weekend I'll be able to order some stickers for the podcast. I, I think I had mentioned before I'm trying to design, I was trying to hand make some stickers and it was just not working out. I couldn't get anything that would actually work well as a back for the tape to peel off of. Um, so I'm going to go ahead and try and order a small amount of stickers and see how those turn out. So go ahead and send me a message if you would like me to mail you one or several if you promise to put them in geeky public places where they hopefully won't get removed immediately. <laughs> And finally, I made my uh, Redbubble store, and my only thing that has sold there is the Woman's Places in the Comic Shop sticker. It's a play on the age-old saying that we all know and hate, uh, and that is Redbubble, so you can get it as a shirt, a mug, a print, whatever really you would like to have it as, and that is on there under She Geek Shop. This week in the news, let's start out with these reminders and announcements. First off... All 10 episodes of Netflix's live-action Cowboy Bebop are live as we speak. I went online to check this morning at the request of my husband as he was at work, and all 10 episodes are up. I did not get too long to look at it because I was trying not to spoil it for myself, um, but they are up. They are available. Uh, we will probably be watching those starting tomorrow, and I will give some kind of brief thus far how I feel about it summary on the next episode, which is going to happen Monday. Also, the first three episodes of Wheel of Time are now available on Amazon, which is going to be premiering weekly on Fridays from here on out. I have not read the books or seen anything about the show, really, to be honest, but Every single person who I've heard say that they did read the books absolutely love them and are extremely excited for the show. It's being called a Game of Thrones style show, which is, I guess, the new way to just say medieval. That's all it is, just magical medieval. Um, we also had a bit of news. Remember that Hawkeye premieres on Wednesday, um, but... A funny thing, I don't know actually what day this occurred on, but Haley Steinfeld was on her press tour thing and she got asked a question about Young Avengers, if that was going to be a thing that happens in the MCU. And she did a full body turnaround to look directly behind her at Kevin Feige, who was also at the interview, who gives her a very panicked, what are you doing? Stop being obvious look. So take that as you will, but I think that's that was a pretty sure confirmation that they've at least discussed it, if nothing else. It has been brought up. Which brings us to the proper news segment. First up is another Netflix live-action project, Avatar. Um, there's a lot of strained emotions surrounding the idea of this Avatar show even existing. 
is it a show or is it a movie? Honestly, I'm not sure. Um, but we had a bit of news uh, this past week, and it was a bit of positive news, thank the Lord. And that is that we have a casting for Uncle Iroh. And I think all of the internet and all of fans of any of these projects can agree that uh, this was probably the ideal casting. It is Paul Sun Hyung Lee, who you may recognize from Appa from Kim's Convenience. He is the father figure. And he was one of the, what would you call them? Rebel fighters? Police force, basically, in Mandalorian, who shows up on the ice planet and tells Mando to get out. It wasn't the ice planet. It was, they were up in space. I think it was the ice planet after that. Yeah. Because then they showed up and they're like, well, we should arrest you, but we're not going to. But anyway, that's him. And he's he's a huge, huge Star Wars fan. And he's a major geek. So it is very, very cool to see that not only an Asian American man has been cast in this role, but it is also a massive fan of the topic. So that is the good news. Uh, I would say so. Um, that does not mean that I am expecting this to be a fantastic live-action Netflix avatar, but it'll have some positive features to it, at the very least. <laughs> the Harry Potter news involves HBO. There's going to be a re Return to Hogwarts special coming to HBO Max. This is not a fictional thing that is coming. This is not a Harry Potter continuation story. They are not going to be in roles. It's just going to be... Quote, tell an enchanting tale, an enchanting making of story through an all in new in-depth interviews and cast conversations, which could be something extremely scripted by Warner slash AT&T as kind of a publicity reining it in sort of things because let's be honest, there's been a lot of bad publicity surrounding the Harry Potter machine <laughs> in the past five years or so let's we all know that um I, I won't go into the the couple of reasons for that but um that's one that ways that what one reason that i'm seeing this being made is it could be a massive publicity double down trying to remind people why we love this pure wholesome family thing that's the one side of it that i'm that i'm seeing a possibility of the other side of it would be what I actually want. <laughs> I don't want something that Warner gives them the guidelines of what they can talk about and what reminds them of, oh, and don't mention this and don't mention that. And, you know, if you had a bad time, definitely don't mention that. I want the dirt. I want the real goods. I want who was crushing on who, who got into it behind the scenes and almost kicked somebody else in the nutsack. What kind of dramas and crap were there like that? We all have this image of the Harry Potter set being so pure um, and I think partially is because it's British and the other partially is because they were kids when it all began. But is that the reality, especially as the actors got older? I'm sure there is something interesting and juicy for them to spill. And I want those beans. If it's not that, I honestly don't know if I'm going to care about it. But if you are a Harry Potter stan, as there are still many my age and older, um, I, I'm good for you. Um, if it is that, but if it is that other one that I don't want, because I'm sure you'll like it just the same. 
And finally, for the Ahsoka show casting news, Natasha Liu Bordizzo, who I probably just slaughtered the name of, has been cast to play Sabine Wren in the Ahsoka Disney Plus series, which is very exciting because at the end of Rebels, the last time that we saw the animated Ahsoka, she and Sabine were setting off to find Ezra Bridger, who you will remember is their Jedi companion, well, Sabine's Jedi companion, who had kind of sort of sacrificed himself for their escape, but odds are he survived, so they're going to go off and find him. Um, Sabine herself is a Mandalorian, and she is an Imperial Academy dropout. She's a really cool character with some really interesting family ties and relationship ties, so I am thrilled for this casting to find that she is going to be in it, and I am also very happy that she has been cast as a woman of Asian descent, as Sabine was very clearly designed to be as such. Well, I mean, it's space, but you see what I'm saying. So really happy to find out about that casting. I don't have a clue what this actress has been in. I read the article and it had some names of some things she was in and I had never heard of a single one of them, I don't think. So um, I'm excited. This is, I have no reason to think this is bad news. So it's only good news. This week's comic book picks, as I mentioned, we're going to combine the Batman 117 and Batman Secret Files The Gardener issues for Poison Ivy Watch as the first chunk of this. Then we'll go over Superman, Son of Kal-El number 5, Radio Apocalypse number 1, The Vampirella Holiday Special 2021, Wonder Woman Evolution number 1, Dark Ages number 3, and Porcelain number 4. All of those somewhat briefly aside from the Poison Ivy Watch stuff, which we'll kick off now with Batman Secret Files The Gardener. This was a one-shot, um... To preface this hashtag Poison Ivy Watch discussion, I have very mixed feelings on what they have done with the character. I don't know if this was due to editorial pushing or due to Tinyan trying to do something with the character new and different. Um, I'm not sure, but for the most part, I am generally unhappy with this. Um, the changes to Pamela Isley's character, well, her origin specifically are mostly poor in my opinion. They have changed it so that she and Bella, Bella Gardner the Gardener, they were dating in college, which is fine, whatever, until she got mixed up in Professor Woodrow's experiments, who he is a standby in her origin, sure, but they become sexually involved in this new origin. Um, and then she leads her to become Ivy and she grows her powers over the years. Mm -hmm. They also added that she was, well, that Bella, no, sorry. They, it was that, it was that Ivy was always hopeful that she could get humanity to stop and listen to what she felt about the plants and what the plants felt about the world and stuff. And while that's accurate to her as Pam, the human, her as Ivy honestly could care less about humans. Her priority is the survival of nature. Humanity be damned. The change they made here didn't really make sense in my opinion. They said Bella uses her science to find the purest parts of Ivy and saves them in a seed so that when she needs it again, she will have it for her. I feel like I maybe missed something here, but it just, it didn't match up. It didn't make sense to me. 
Um, so I don't really like this retconning. Pamela was always a wallflower in, in her origin before she was Ivy. Uh, she had no social life and she was awkward. She admired Woodrow, but definitely never had a romance with him. He manipulated her as a hero of hers, but there was not a sexual component to it. This is all part of why her transformation into Poison Ivy then was even more dramatic because it was such a flip. The parts of her that she was always afraid to let loose become the main facets of her personality. The anger against humanity on behalf of nature being a key com component to that personality. And him being tiny and adding in the trauma of a man hurting Ivy is totally unnecessary. Um, romantically hurting her. You should have, he should have been able um, to, to do something similar like that without making it sexual trauma, basically. That just took it to a whole nother, a whole nother level of dark that it, it just did not need to go. Ivy hates humanity for their constant lack of care towards the natural world. She doesn't need to be a, any kind of broken woman to have that anger. She doesn't need to have gone through horrifying things to have that anger. No one does. Uh, Batman number 117 got similar feels about the Ivy stuff that happened there, but basically just a quick rundown of the events. Innocent Ivy that Bella grew and Queen Ivy reunite and then she and Harley finally get together again and Ivy covers the city of Gotham in pheromones to stop the fear state chemicals the end um something that i read that is so there's a comment online about tinyan's batman run that was just so on point you know if you've been listening to this before you know i was a big fan of tom king's batman um because i i, I really loved the, the romance side of it what are you gonna do call me a girl i don't care like oh so what i like it um <laughs> and i really liked how he kind of changed up how things were told so to say but um but he stuck with a lot i mean i think besides one or two characters he stuck with characters who were already in the bat universe established in some way um, and I saw this comment online about Tynion's run and it had me cackling. So I just wanted to mention it here. He says, Tynion just doesn't understand the Bat family. So he flooded it with a bunch of OCs he could play with, hoping one of them would catch on and he'd get royalties in the future. That describes so perfectly what reading his Batman felt like. So perfectly. <laughs> but anyway, moving on from just Tynion not understanding Batman, um, and then to what he wrote about Ivy. So, Everyone Loves Ivy is an arc of Tom King's Batman, interestingly enough, which is referen referenced, referenced in this issue of Batman, Tinyan's last issue. They are saying here that Bella Garden was she first realized Ivy was on a path to dying, I guess, when she took over all of the Justice League during that arc of Batman because she was mad and honestly feeling like she was going to lose her friend that Selina intended to marry Batman, Selina Kyle Catwoman. There was, in that arc, no indication that there was anything wrong with her, no reason for readers to think 
anything was going to come of that arc aside from her settling and coming to terms with it. It seems very random that this is what they choose to reference of Tom King's DC work when his killing of and bringing back of Poison Ivy and Heroes in Crisis is literally what started her on this exact journey of her character developing into something slightly different and more powerful than what she was before. They even go as far in the Gardner special as to note that Ivy was going through dramatic changes, but completely ignoring the why of this. And the why was because she'd been brought back by the Flash, basically, um, as part of the green. Basically, it's Stuart in the way that Swamp Thing has been in the past. And uh, Stuart, did I say Stuart? <laughs> Steward. Um, that was all gone over in the sixth issue, which I really loved, Harley Quinn and Poison Ivy series, which again is another series that is totally ignored in these issues this week. Both of them, Batman 117 and The Gardener One-Shot. Even though the main villain in that series was freaking Woodrow as well. <laughs> they even go as far as to list the events leading us to where they are now, but only post New 52 or pre New 52. Yeah, no, sorry. The only post New 52 thing coming after New 52, i.e. rebirth and forward that they reference at all is that everyone loves Ivy arc in Tom King's Batman and completely ignoring all the other stuff that was far more relevant to where she is now, i.e. Heroes in Crisis's finale and the Harley Quinn and Poison Ivy series and then the handful of things that she's been in since then, up until she's been in Tiny's Batman, I would say. So I don't know. I don't get why they spent years setting her up to be here for certain reasons and now they are pretending that none of that ever happened. I guess the positive thing to take away is that Ivy does seem to be whole again. There doesn't seem to be a reason to assume that there will be any more drastic changes of her character. Um, now we're kind of at this phase, I feel like we're just hesitantly waiting to see what exactly they're going to do with her now. Because we know she and Harley are getting back together in canon officially, publicly, but then what? They're not going to have her tag along in a Harley Quinn series. That you can pretty much guarantee. Um, there has been no talk of Poison Ivy stories coming further down the line, even through February solicitations that we have to talk about today. So it is unknown. I'm, I'm not really sure what their plan of wrapping her story arc, where they're going next with it. Um, Especially since they suddenly veered away from where this all started and what it all came from and kind of used the gardener to try and f pretend she was that instead. And that, the last thing I want to mention about this, um, I, I saw some people complaining about, and I understand this in a sense, um, but I don't think it applies to Ivy. I saw people complaining about how a lot of times when you have comic characters or fictional characters who get um, announced as being queer in some way or another, it then becomes retconned often that they knew they were queer and they acted on their queerness through their whole, you know, sexual history in the past and romantic history in the past. Um, 
And while Ivy, I don't think that quite works out, um, I would say that her having been, I would definitely say that her having been involved with Professor Woodrow is more of a turn against her true character than her having been involved with Bella at the same time. Um, her and Bella would have made sense, but her hooking up with her science hero, that was the wallflower pout that she would have been like, notice me senpai, you know, in the corner. Um, but but having dated a woman in college, I don't think that really takes her out of the wallflower category. You can still be a wallflower and be extremely whatever. You get the point. But um, this complaint, though, I think that that would work if they were to, I mean, the complaint would be valid if they were to have done that with a character like Harley Quinn, who up until her initiation of the romance with Ivy was not really interested in women. She um, pretty much was into dudes, flirted with the dudes, was, was the Joker's gal. Um, I think if they tried to retcon Harley's past to say that she was bisexual and in her teenage years, in her college years, I think that would be far more detrimental to her character than um, Ivy having been queer in the past is to hers um because people do they do come to the conclusion or they do they do learn things about themselves as they get older um you, you're not always born knowing that you're like men or women or whichever the case may be you might develop and learn these things and feelings over time and that's completely normal and so that's where that complaint stems from uh for ivy i don't think it's valid but if they were to do that with someone like harley i hope that all made sense <laughs> let's let's move on from this i am curious if you have any thoughts on what they've done with ivy or what they think they might be doing with her in the future though um because it seems that this was leading up to something and now she's just kind of dropping off the face of the comics earth again so let me know what you think Moving on very briefly to the rest of these, Superman Son of Kal-El number five was very good. I asked my comic shop if I could have that one because it is, of course, the issue where John Kent does technically come out. He, he for the first time, kisses his new partner, um, or I guess who will be his new partner. And there's, um, there's a few things that I, I'm not keeping up with his story too much. I just wanted this issue. I have a lot of the coming out issues that exist out there. Um, so I just wanted to add this to my collection. But I did not realize before this, John Kent's villain, his name is Bendix. Like B-N-D-I-X, Bendix. As in similar to Bendis. Brian Michael Bendis, who notoriously wrote a very hated Superman run fairly recently <laughs> and um, aged up John Kent, which nobody really liked. <laughs> so now they have his villain called Bendix. That that has to be on purpose. There's no way that's a coincidence. They, they definitely had to know what they were doing here. Um, also, in this issue, there was really cool art of... Um, John talking to the Flash in super speed because he gets like supercharged and he's like going around super fast and he can't slow down and so he goes and he talks to Wally really fast because Wally's the only one who's going to be able to hear what he's saying and understand him which I thought was a cool a cool little storytelling device to use there um, 
And it was a good issue. I'm not entirely sure what's going on, but for the most part, I was able to figure it all out. And everything seemed very natural. Nothing was awkward, uh, awkwardly written. Um, To give an example of an awkwardly written coming out issue, the... the, um, When Alan Scott came out to his kids in that awful, tiny and written comic, it was so bad. Oh my god, that is what we call an awkward coming out issue. It was so unrealistic and awkward and just like, have you ever interacted with a queer person in your life? (laughs) Um, Apparently, but I question it. Anyway, um, there's also something else I wanted to talk about while we're on the topic of Superman. There are people who seem to think that Kal-El slash Clark Kent is going to be killed off because his son is Superman. No, <laughs> that is not happening. I, I would bet lots of money on it if I had the chance. Why? The damn Action Comics writer himself has come out and said that he has also heard this rumor and has no idea where it came from because he has, in his own words, years of plans for Clark. He's also established as far back as February that Clark is going to outlive everybody, basically, and lives for thousands of years. Just because he's not on Earth as Superman at the moment doesn't mean they're writing off his character. He's still very active in the DC Universe, just not on Earth. Radio Apocalypse number one was by Rom V and I am blown away. This is really cool. It was super fascinating um, because the intro to the comic is basically them writing in and saying this comic was created to a soundtrack and it's meant to be read to the same soundtrack. Which I went ahead and did as I'm sure I hope anybody else who reads it does because it's 20 to 21. You do have access to these songs in some way or another. Um, it is just really fascinating how Rom V has yet again broken through another style of comic storytelling. In The Many Deaths of Layla Starr, I believe it was the second or third issue, he wrote entirely from the perspective of a goddamn cigarette. And it is easily one of the best fucking comics I read in 2021. No lie. Um... I feel like he has broken through an equally tremendous barrier here into something new. By adding an actual soundtrack to these issues, the song choices essentially make the comic function as a movie. This is the storyboard, colored and written out in detail, and that is the soundtrack. He can make sure the scenes translate to exactly the feel and the vibe that he wants to have come across because the music ensures it, cements it in what he's trying to get across, and it works out perfectly, and I am obsessed already with the first issue. Vampirella Holiday Special 2022. God damn. 2021. Had three stories in it. Uh, The first of which was most of the issue, and honestly, I did not like it. The second of which had some of the most stunning Vampirilla art I have ever seen, with some really, really cool costume designs. It was a super cute story of Vampirilla fighting a dragon on Christmas Eve, I think in New York, and then she ends up killing it by busting out of the middle, 
And due to that, onlookers think that she's Krampus, which is goddamn hilarious. And then the third story is just Vampirella on a hunt. Uh, she hears somebody scream and finds Santa Claus losing a battle with a demon for some reason. She kills the demon, but it's too late. And as Santa dies, he passes. There's no, there's no words in this, by the way. As Santa dies, he passes her his red hat uh, and she becomes Vampy Claus, which is so hilarious and awesome. Um, those two short stories at the end, I really wish they had been all that was in the issue and you could have elaborated on them a little bit because um, they were both really creative and really cool and I just enjoyed the crap out of them for even as short as they were. Wonder Woman Evolution number one is by Stephanie Phillips and by Mike Hawthorne. Um, I, one of the first things that I had to stop and note about this was how much I see Frank Miller Frank Miller's style in Hawthorne's designs for Diana. Um, From the shape of her very Roman nose to the metal uh, crown pressed to her forehead down the bridge of her between her eyes. Um, Just absolutely stunning design. And it it just reminded me so much of Frank Miller. I love this extremely Greek... Uh, design of Diana. Uh, There is also a beautiful showcase, just gorgeous scene of her and Clark talking about their friendship, which you have to know that it is a friendship unlike any other. They are different species from different planets altogether, but they are the people who can each relate to the people who each can relate to most on this planet. They are one of a kind, but together they are two of a kind in a sense. Um, they're, they're just such unique. And again, the, I kind of felt like a bit of a, of a throw, a nod to Frank Miller, because of course, Frank Miller's um, Batman Dark Knight universe, Diana and Clark are, parents together and lovers so uh it did kind of feel like a nod in frank miller's direction for writing there as well the basic plot of wonder woman evolution number one in this first issue is that diana is taken off earth to be used for humanity's judgment by some cosmic superpowers if she cannot prove that they are all worthy they will die dark ages number three was pretty fun i honestly forgot the series existed but Hopefully I won't next time. This issue, they send Quicksilver out to scout Apocalypse's base, but he sees Magneto, his father, and messes up. He he screws it up, and they catch him. They send him back under Purple Man's control, so he gets to kill Okoye and Johnny Storm before they're able to knock him out. He lives to tell them what he saw at Apocalypse's base once he's back to himself, And that includes having seen Reed Richards, which is what makes them decide finally to invade. Meanwhile, Apocalypse is already completely aware of all of this and has one really terrifying trick up his sleeve, what appears to be Carnage Miles Morales. And then we have Maria Levey's Porcelain Number 4, where the story is really starting to take shape. This is going to have one more issue. And here we find out the dollmaker is Valentina, 
who was once a young girl who went through a horrible ordeal, but is now the keeper of this terrifying dollhouse of nightmares. The dollmaker traps the young girl, Beryl, and intends to take her heart and give it to one of her dolls, or perhaps it was the other way around, but Beryl's black cat claws at the dollmaker and gives Beryl a chance to escape her bindings, stabbing the dollmaker, and then dollmaker changes into a form that looks more like the once girl Valentina and Beryl confronts her about her past. So the fifth issue, no doubt we're going to get a little bit more explanation on who this doll maker is and why she is kidnapping girls and killing them. Now for the Spider-Man No Way Home trailer, my honest to God reaction is pretty much right up there with meh. Just Meh. I had mentioned before that I'm getting a little bit of Spider-Man fatigue. Even my husband is getting Spider-Man fatigue and that's his absolute favorite comic book character of all time. Spider-Man was the first book that he read was Spider-Man comics. Um, and we're getting Spider-Man fatigue because of this. And it did not help that Tom Holland, Zendaya, and uh, what's his name who plays, not Genki, but his friend there in the... In the uh, what's his name? Um... But whatever they they were made to put they they put them in this video together trying like say oh yeah we're reacting to the trailer and it was obviously so incredibly fake um and not a thing matched up with what actually was going on in the trailer uh but it it was just super cringy and i hated every second of it um the trailer basically it, it gives you the plot rundown here it's Spider-Man basically messes up the spell for people to forget who he is and rips through reality, uh, letting in his villains from other universes. Doctor Strange says he has to send them back, but when they go back, they'll all get killed by those Spider-Men and those universes. Peter doesn't want that to happen. So after he captures them, he sets them all free instead of sending them back to die. Uh, I, 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 it's just Spider-Man being an idiot, honestly. <laughs> He's been stupid. Um, yeah, let's, I'll see if they can sell it in the movie, but I'm not vibing with it right now at all. Now let's go ahead and get started with Marvel Comics in February. Feb, February. February. Whew, I had a tough time getting that out. 2022. Um, first off. 2022 is a big Spider-Man anniversary, so that's why we're going to start seeing so much Spider-Man stuff being solicited for next year. Um, we're going to start the... Well, when we get to DC, it'll be the same, so we'll start this off with things that are just continuing. We have Black Widow number 15 is going to have another absolutely stunning Adam Hughes cover. You can go check it out. Thor number 22 seems to have Angela featured in the issue since she and others are on the cover. Phoenix Song Echo number 5 of 5 finishes up that series. Ms. Marvel Beyond the Limit continues with issue 3 of 5. Hawkeye Kate Bishop continues with 4 of 5. Dark Ages with 5 of 5. Sabretooth series was pushed back till February, so the number 1 is now in February and not January. There is another Maestro series coming out called World War M. Modoc is going to be a character popping up in X-Men number eight, which to be honest, I'm probably not going to get past issue seven of X-Men if I have to guess. 
And Luke Cage, City of Fire, finishes with issue three of three. Now, for the news, for the number ones, we have some really exciting ones here, starting off with Spider-Gwen, Gwenverse number one. This is going to be of five issues. It's written by Tim Seeley with art by Jody Nishijima. Uh, there's going to be a cover by, oh, the main cover is by David Nakayama. That's pretty cool. He usually does variants and he usually does a lot of store exclusive variant covers. So cool that he's going to have the main cover. It'll be really easy to get that collection started if you're into David Nakayama. David Nakayama. He is the artist who, his his little signature is D- DNA. Uh, it has a variant by Leonardo Romero and other variants by, oh, Greg Land. Who cares about that? Peach Romoko and Natasha Bustos. What it says about this series, not enough Gwens. When Gwen Stacy was bitten by a radioactive spider, she gained arachnid-like superpowers and started a crime-fighting career as Spider-Woman, or so she's affectionately known to her peers, Ghost Spider. But what would have happened if she had instead, if she had picked up, if she instead had picked up the enchanted hammer Mjolnir, or if she received the super soldier serum, or built a high-tech suit of armor, or you get the idea. Find out in this new five-issue miniseries by Tim Seeley. Apparently he's doing Heroes Reborn Marvel Double Action. And Jody Nishiyama, who did, I guess, the United States of Captain America, as Ghost Spider tumbles through time and comes face-to-face with herself. Obviously that sounds hilarious and fun. I am obviously in. One thing I'm wondering, um... I don't think Rico Renzi is going to be involved in this, which is kind of disappointing because Rico Renzi was a big part of... He's a colorist and designer who um, had a really, really big hand in getting the whole Spider-Gwen aesthetic solidified in her universe and in just her personal aesthetic. So I'm hopefully he's going to be involved, but there are also going to be a number of Gwens who are designed by various comic book artists starting off with Peach Momoko, who showed, she says she has, I believe she said five designs that she came up with. The first of which she showed today, which was a Captain Marvel style Gwen Stacy, um, which was pretty cool. So you can check that out on her Instagram. I imagine her Twitter or anywhere else you can find her online. Ghost Rider number one is starting off in February with Benjamin Percy at the head and Corey Smith on, uh, on art. We're going to have covers by Kale New, Todd Knox, Scotty Young, Torin Clark, Inyuk Lee, Peach Moko, Benjamin Sue, Adam Kubert, Ryan Stegman, and Jorge Fornez. So just in case you didn't have enough choices, <laughs> there's a few there. Um, what it talks about, this is going to be a series about Johnny Blaze. It says, Johnny Blaze is a perfect life, a wife and two kids, a job at an auto repair shop, and a small town community that supports him. But Johnny isn't doing well. He has nightmares of monsters when he sleeps, and he sees bloody visions when he's awake. This life is beginning to feel like a prison. There's a spirit in him that's begging to break out. Benjamin Percy and Corey Smith are going back to basics with a spirit of vengeance in this exercise first issue. I honestly can't say here if this is going to be a new kick off to the Johnny Blaze stuff or if it's going to be a flashback origin story. Not really sure. Uh, last time I knew Johnny Blaze was ruling hell, so I maybe they'll explain how he gets from there to here. I don't know. Uh, but this definitely feels like it's not going to be connected to what we've seen him uh, do in comics in the past. 
Carnage Forever number one. I knew Venom had his moment, and now Carnage is having his. This is by Philip Kennedy Johnson, Rom V, and Ty Templeton. I gotta say, Rom V and Philip Kennedy Johnson are getting bank on both sides of the big two. At least I hope they are. They're probably not getting paid nearly enough. We have Edgar Salazar, Ty Templeton, and more on art. This is covers by Kendrick Lim, Mark Bagley, John Boy Mayers, and Dan Panosian. So it's a killer celebration. Cletus Cassidy is the most notorious serial killer in the Marvel Universe, and it's been 30 years since his... Inst- is this just a reprint? She'll have it all. Look back on Carnage's past, his present, and just maybe the first hints we'll get of his visceral... Okay, so it's going to be some reprints and then some new stuff. I thought that was going to be its own series, but what do I know? I clearly didn't read this before I... Before this... Savage Spider-Man number one. We have Joe Kelly as writer with Gerardo Sandoval as artist. Cover by Nick Bradshaw. It says this is Spider-Man as like you've never seen him before, which honestly is something they say in comics all the time about all characters ever. Peter Parker finds himself at the middle of the biggest, most wide-ranging adventure he's ever had, and out of the gate has turned him into a savage beast. Forget everything you know about Spider-Man. All rules and regulations are out the door, and Peter Parker may never be the same. Again, they say stuff like that in comics all the time. Peter Parker will be fine. Secret X-Men number one. This is Teeny Howard, who I adore, with Francesco Mobili. Mobili? Mobili? I'm not sure which one is right there. Uh, And covered by Lionel Francis Yu, who is an amazing Filipino artist. Uh, Also was the artist in charge of Secret Invasion, which uh, we talked about on the podcast last episode with well, Disney plus episode, whatever it was. Um, there is going to be a variant by Tony S Daniel as well. It says it's the X-Men when the Shi'ar empire faces an unexpected threat. They must call upon the X-Men team spirit. Co-cap t- team co-captain sunspot and cannonball must lead marrow tempo forge banshee strong guy armor and boom, boom on a secret mission to save Empress Zandra. And then it says, it's my cat scratching. Wait, aren't those the X? Those aren't the X-Men. Aren't those the mutants who lost the election? <laughs> Which is pretty funny. So I guess no. this is them making sure nobody has room to bitch that their favorite character didn't wind up in the X-Men. Um, on that same note, kind of, we have excellent number one. That is X-C-E-L-L-E-N-T. <laughs> this is going to be by Peter Milligan and Michael Allred with covers by Mateus Manhanini and David Mack. And Scotty Young, too, but who cares? This is something really interesting. I'll read the solicitation, and then I'll go over a little bit of the history of this whole concept. It says, It's finally here. They were loved by their adoring fans. They were reviled by the harsh press. They lived, they loved, they fought, and they died. A lot. All for the sake of fame. They were ecstatics, a team of mutant celebrities fighting for a brighter world and an even brighter spotlight. But they're old news now because there's a new mutant team that will live harder, love harder, fight harder, and die a whole lot harder than those has-beens. Peter Milligan, Michael Allred, and Laura Allred return to introduce the best new superhero team you didn't know you needed. Meet the excellent obvious it sounds entertaining now let's go over some of the history of this whole concept so peter milligan and michael allred were put as the new creative team for x-force 
starting in 2001, starting off with issue number 116. Prior to their first issue, X-Force had been selling well, but reportedly had not been the critical success that Joe Caseta wanted. So Milligan and Alrod decided to completely revamp the series, Alrod, Alred, revamp the series, designing a team more akin to pop stars or reality TV contestants than the gritty, violent paramilitary group originally portrayed by the series. The title was laced with Milligan's satirical take on superhero teams, as well as general cynicism toward the entire genre. Milligan wrote that he saw the character's superpowers as, quote, vehicles for exploring our celebrity and fame-obsessed society. So this kind of feels like um, you may compare it to the boys um, as things in that vein where it's kind of the uh, cynical take on superheroes for hire kind of situation. Um, In our capitalistic world, it's very understandable. (laughs) But I'll check out that first issue for sure. Iron Fist gets a new series with issue one of five by Alyssa Wong, uh, with art by Michael Yeeg, with cover by Jim Chung, and then variants by Nick Dragota, Todd Knott, Gunji, and Lionel Francis Yu. It says, who is the new Iron Fist? After giving up his power to save the world, Danny Rand believes he's seen the last of the Iron Fist. But when demons begin to attack cities around the world, a mysterious newcomer in an unfamiliar mask appears, hands blazing with the chi of Shao Lao, the Undying. But who is this new Iron Fist, and does his power really come from the Dragon of Kunlun, or from something far more sinister? If you're a fan of Iron Fist, you'll probably want to check that one out. And then we have Eternals, The Undying, number one, by Kieran Gillen, with art by Ryan Bodenheim. This is obviously going to follow in the same vein of the Kieran Gillen Asad Ribic Eternals that is currently going. It says there will be a variant by Phil Noto, regular cover by Andrea Sorrentino, And what it says about this, Thanos is now ruler of the Eternals, but believe it or not, he's actually not the worst leaders the Eternal Society has ever seen. No, that honor belongs to someone even more horrific. Thanos is evil, yes, but who was the original evil from who all eternal evils descend? Meet Uranus, the Undying, and many the Celestials have mercy on your souls. I, that dark that sounds so cool. I know this is probably a one shot. I don't care. I'm 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 gonna read it. I don't care how, much, how long it takes. This shit's awesome. <laughs> Marvel Voices Legacy Number One is another one of the Black History Month specials. It's gonna be by let's see. Do we have all of the names? We don't have all of the names. We have some of them. Um, we have. Let's see, the writers are going to include Cody Ziglar, Natasha Bustos, Victor Laval, Jay Holtham, Maria Froch, and more. And then the artists include Maria Froelich. Oh, it's Froelich, okay. Natasha Bustos, and more. It's going to have covers by Chris Cross, Tarn Clark, Ejiwa Edge Ebenebe, Oliver Coppel, Natasha Bustos, and more. So what it says is... 
Okay, it's really not a good breakdown, but it says the Stormbreaker Natasha Bustos makes her writing debut with a glorious tale of Wakanda. Superstar novelist Victor Laval writes Moon Girl like you've never seen her before. Jessica Jones and Cloak and Dagger TV writer Jay Holtham explores the legacy of Sam Wilson, Captain America. Amazing Spider-Man scribe Cody Ziglar visits Marvel's black heroes through the ages in a celebration highlighting Luke Cage's 60th, oh, sorry, 50th anniversary. I can't Read. There's so much more to come, including an incredible lineup of new and established artists. Marvel's Voices is the program for every fan. Don't let this one pass you by. They've been trying really hard with the Marvel's Voices. I'll give them that. They've they've kept them coming out one every couple of months for the past year and a half or so. So that's that's good. Um, that's fine. We'll see. Hopefully this will be good. I imagine it will be. Now moving on to the number twos and other continuing things. We have She-Hulk number two comes in February by Rainbow Roll and Rohe Antonio with a cover by Jen Bartel and variants by David Nakayama and TBA. It says, one of the most dangerous things in the Marvel U lands in Jen Walters' lap, and now she's got to figure out what to de- what the heck to do with it, it says. And that's all while putting her life and career back together. So well, my thoughts on this, just sidebar real quick. I guess one of the differences that I can give Marvel easily that gives this reason for um, this quote, putting her life back together after being savage is what they're saying, is that she didn't really manage her career while she was an Avenger in Jason Aaron's recent run or I guess continuing run. Um, I I didn't really notice it, but I guess he just kind of let that stop after Tamaki series. So after four, maybe five years on a break from her legal practice, that's likely a big part of this putting her life back together stuff that they keep referencing. She did have friends at the time, though, so it's, she doesn't have to completely put back together her friendships. Kelly Thompson wrote her a few times in Captain Marvel, but I suppose it's accurate that she wasn't really a contributing friend in those times. She was more like the punching bag for Carol's aggression that could just sit back and take it. So um, I'm, I'm very interested to see this new era of She-Hulk for sure. Silk number two comes in by Emily Kim with Takeshi Miyazawa and a cover by Inyuk Lee and Audrey Mock. It says, K-pop catastrophe. The new villain in town targets Silk's friend and fellow superhero, the pop star Luna Snow. The same villain is siphoning the youth of social media influencers and Silk is racing to find out why. Can Silk save her friend, solve the mystery, and salvage a date gone awry? She can only pick two. (laughs) So the date's probably not going to get the date's not going to go well. Um, I would like more Agents of Atlas crossovers, please, especially Wave, because my Filipino husband would absolutely lose his mind and it would be awesome. Devil's Reign and its tie-ins continue, including Devil's Reign X-Men number two of three by Gary Duggan and Phil Noto, uh, with a cover by, a variant cover by Javier Garon. It says, deals with the devil. Turns out attending Hellfire Club soirees was not the naughtiest thing Emma Frost was up to the time before she joined the X-Men. Um, is that allowed to be put in Marvel Comics without a censor? (laughs) Okay. Uh, and the dirty deeds she did for Wilson Fisk are coming back to haunt her. This is, again, going along the story of her having rescued um, Sebastian Shaw's girlfriend from his abuse. Um, and she's not dead. Yay! 
Daredevil Woman Without Fear continues with issues two of three by Chip Zartsky. Captain Marvel number 37 uh, moves on to another arc by Kelly Thompson with a new artist, uh, again, Julius Ota, with the covers by R.B. Silva, Peach Momoko, and Ryan Gonzalez. It says, after the last... After the brutal fight in Last of the Marvels, Carol De- Carol Danvers deserves a break, and so does fellow Marvel Monica Rambeau. But with Redacted loose on Earth, the heroes have no time to breathe, and there's no telling what this new force in the Marvel Universe will do next. A perfect jumping on point for the longest Captain Marvel run yet. It does look like the post- last of the Marvel's plotline is going to have Carol and Monica finally getting to know each other a little bit better, which for some reason hasn't really been been done one-on-one in the past, but them saying that it's the longest run yet does make me think that it's on their mind and they're going to cancel it soon. Spider-Man number 20, oh my gosh, Spider-Woman number 20 continues with Carla Pacheco and Perry Perez, covers by Peach Moko and Jung Yan Yoon. Um, this is bringing in the anti-arachnine, arachnine, which was her, her brother's name, I think. I don't know. Uh, in Amazing Spider-Man number 88, we're having the Goblin Queen introduced. And then number 89, she fights the Black Cat. New Mutants number 24 continues with Vita Ayala. However, art is by Danilo Bayruth. Covers by Martin Simmons and Peach from Momoko. She has a lot going on this, this, that month. Um, it says the new mutants regroup in the aftermath of the Shadow King's attack. What will become of Amal Farouk? Why is Warpath crying? How many snicks can fit into one panel? What happens when the lo- to the lost when they find one another? All this and more in a single issue, plus the setup for the next big arc, a story too magical to be believed. Avengers number 53, I put in here, I'm not reading the series, but I read the solicit and my mind was kind of blown. This continues to be by Jason Aaron with Javier Garon. It says, the Avengers impenetrable headquarters is under attack by the most supremely powerful version of Doctor Doom in existence and a wildly murderous young Thanos still wet with his mother's blood. What? It says the Black Panther fights to defend the mountain alongside his surprising new teammates, King Namor and Jane Foster. Again, what? <laughs> I'm 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 gonna have to obviously gonna have to read this to find out what the hell is going on. What? <laughs> I'm guessing this is a tie-in with um Heroes Reborn or whatever it is that they're doing. Avengers Forever. Heroes Reborn was the last one they did. Avengers Forever which is happening also in February, I think. <laughs> but still, uh, what? <laughs> Last one for Marvel, Iron Man number 17 is by Christopher Cantwell with art by Ibrahim Robson. It briefly mentions Hellcat in the solicitation. Again, we are here for Patsy and only Patsy. For the DC Comics February solicitations in 2022, we're going to do it the same way as we did the Marvel ones, starting off with things that are just generally being noted as continuing. That includes Aquaman The Becoming has its number six final issue, which leads directly into the Aquaman number one relaunch, or launch, which I'll get into when we get there. Batman The Night number two continues by Chip Zarsky. Excuse me, I just belched. 
Catwoman or Batman Catwoman number 10 written by Tom King and art by Clay Mann continues. Nubia and the Amazons number five of six continues written by Stephanie Williams and Vita Ayala. The Human Target number five by Tom King and Greg Smallwood continues. And Wonder Woman Evolution number four of eight goes on by Stephanie Williams with art by Mike Hawthorne. New things. Oh yeah. And then I am Batman number six of six also happens. New things. This is the first one I'm definitely most excited about. It is called The New Champion of Shazam, number one. It is, I believe, three issues that are going to be by motherfucking Josie Campbell and Evan Doc Shaner on art. That shit is cool. What an, what an awesome team. I love Josie Campbell. She writes such really wholesome stories and understands the the pure-heartedness of certain DC characters at their core. I love it. Um, what this is about, Mary Marvel is becoming the new Shazam champion. Uh, let's read what they have to say. Mary Bromfield has always struggled to determine who she is outside her family. Kind of hard to do when you're all superheroes. Now, after Billy Batson's heroic sacrifice, the power of Shazam has vanished and she's been left powerless. Most heroes would be distraught, but not Mary. It's finally time for a voyage of self-discovery as she prepares for her freshman year of college and a civilian life. But nothing is ever truly normal for this young hero because she's just been chosen as the new champion of Shazam, at least according to a talking rabbit sent by her estranged brother, Billy. Will she embrace the power or will it die alongside this world's hope of survival against the mysterious magical forces waiting to take control? This is Mary Marvel's first mini solo miniseries. Um, I guess Josie Campbell did Future State Green Lantern. I did not know that. Um, I know her from a series of like one shots that she's done that I really enjoy. Um, and then Doc Shaner obviously just did Strange Adventures. And apparently he also did Convergence Shazam. So there's that too. Aquaman. Aquaman. Men, plural. Number one, written by Chuck Brown. Yes, and Brandon Thomas. Chuck Brown, um, I believe, was one of the writers of Bitterroot. Yes, uh, Brandon Thomas, I'm not sure about, but there's going to be art by Sammy Basri, a cover by Travis Moore, and then also Kale New and Nick Robles and Jim Lee and Alexis Franklin. There's a lot of covers for this. It says, dive deeper in following the thrilling conclusion of Aquaman, The Becoming, and Black Manta, neither of which I'm reading. When a terrorist in the middle in middle America is revealed as an Atlantean sleeper agent seemingly gone rogue, the Aquaman, Arthur Curry, and Jackson Hyde are on the case. But it soon becomes clear when the tragedy was not just a single bad actor, but the beginnings of a much larger and more dangerous chain reaction, and the heart of an explosion, explosive Atlantean conspiracy. If Arthur's not careful, the secrets he's keeping from Mera, Tula, Tempest, Atlantis, and the surface... Oh, and even Jackson could cause a rift in which the Aquaman may never recover. That's so funny. They're calling them the Aquaman. It's raining, man. I'm sorry. I apologize. Monkey Prince number one is written by Jean Luen Yang, who I love. I was trying not to cuss there. Uh, art and cover by Bernard Chang with variants by Stanley Art Germ Lau, Anand Radhakrishnan. Uh, Dustin Nguyen and Zhao Dao. Hmm. 
It says, introducing the newest hero in the DCU, the Great Sage, equal part, uh, equal to the heavens, better than his predecessors, the legendary Monkey King, even better than the Justice League, and definitely the Teen Titans, actually all the heroes combined. Everyone, put your hands together for the Monkey Prince. Marcus' son moves around a lot because his adoptive parents are freelance hench people, so this month he finds himself as the new kid at Gotham City High School, where a mysterious man with pig features asks Marcus to walk through a clear or through a water curtain to reveal himself as who Marcus really is someone that has adventured through the journey to the west who can transform into 72 different formations can clone himself using his hairs and is called the monkey prince not gonna lie I did not understand a lot of that but I'm definitely gonna check this out because I love Jean Luen Yang and I love seeing more Asian representation in comics Suicide Squad, Squad Blaze number one is by Simon Spurrier with art by Aaron Campbell and a cover by Matthias Bergara. It says the, oh, this is, this is long. This is long. Simon, I'm just going to read the end. Simon Spurrier and Aaron Campbell, the creative team behind the critically acclaimed John Constantine Hellblazer, have been returned turned loose on the DC title on the oh gosh I can't read the one DC title even more horrific and black hearted than that one we suggest you brace yourselves it looks like the team is Harley Quinn Peacemaker uh, I'm probably not going to read this then I hate that character Captain Boomerang King Shark it's three issues I was going to read it and then I saw that and I probably won't now Weird Love Tales number one is obviously their Valentine's Day special it's written by uh, a variety of names, including Rex Ogle, Rich Duke, Colin Kelly, Jackson Lansing, Rom V, Stephanie Phillips, and Devin Grayson. And it includes art by Geraldo Borges, Christian Duce, Phil Hester, Ande Parks, John Samariva, Roger Robson, and others, with covers by Yannick Paquette and Amanda Connor. What it says is, ah, can you smell that? Love is in the air again, and we're here to warm your heart and brighten your soul with eight timeless tales of weird love. Sorry, hold on. I just need to read that again. Yep, that says weird love. Well, all right. Looks like we've got stories of a love as old as Jurassic Time and, and Dinosaur Island, a bromance between Peacemaker and his- oh god, really? And a first date you never saw coming. I might not get this. <laughs> I hate Peacemaker. Catwoman number 40, we're moving on. Written by Teeny Howard, who I love. Art by Nico Leon. Covers by Jeff Decal, Jenny Frizen, and Sosa Maika. It says, if I told you that there is a whole retro-glam retro apartment building in Gotham called the Trixie that rents houses to mob wives, side chicks, and mistresses, and Catwoman has secretly taken a whole floor to herself, eavesdropping on mob wives and mistresses to blackmail them, would you believe me? Of course you wouldn't, because the last thing you want to, is to be caught knowing these truths at the only place Gotham in Gotham you could actually get away with murder. Ah, it sounds really fun, honestly. I'm super into it. Glad Jenny Frizen's still on it. Dark Knights of Steel number 4 of 12 from Tom Taylor comes with art by Yasmin Putri. Oh, art by Bengal with cover by Yasmin Putri. Interesting. Interesting. Um, it says the arrival of the elves by spaceship 19 years ago. 19 years earlier was a pivotal moment for the kingdom and a prophecy was born but what were those early years like for the elves and how did they come to become how did they come to be monarchs of the kingdom and what catastrophic event triggered everything that was to follow 
Harley Quinn number 12 continues by Stephanie Phillips and Riley Rossmo, covers by Derek Chu and Ryan Gonzalez. It says if Superman had to deal with a bomb on a runaway train barreling toward Gotham, he'd just throw the whole thing into outer space like a football. Zaytana would do some cool magic thing. Aquaman would like summon an army of bomb diffusing dolphins or something. But I'm Harley Quinn. I can't do any of those things. So how am I going to defuse the bomb, save Kevin, and stop Keepsake from destroying Gotham? Well, I'm working on it, okay? Don't rush me. But I've definitely, certainly, without a doubt, got it handled probably. Supergirl Woman Up Tomorrow continues with issue eight of eight, I guess wraps up with issue eight of eight, by Tom King with art by Bilquis Evely and a cover by Janaina Medeiros. It says, Krem's fate revealed as Supergirl continues her battle against the brigands, Ruthie squares off against the most vile villain this most vile villain in hopes of avenging her father and completing their mission. Will justice be served on both accounts, or will our heroes fail? You won't want to miss this thrilling conclusion of the acclaimed miniseries that has changed Kara Zor-El for good. Last thing I want to talk about here is Nightwing number 89. I am not following this Nightwing series. It's by Tom Taylor and Bruno Redondo. Uh, it's a variant by Jamal, Cal Jamal Campbell as well as Bengal. The reason I'm interested in this is because of the historical everything that it's covering. It says it's a Superman-Nightwing crossover. Remember, Superman is currently John Kent. Years ago, when Robin took his first uncertain steps away from Batman as his own superhero, Superman stepped in and offered Dick Grayson some crucial advice, support, and a name, Nightwing. Now it's time for Nightwing to return the favor, to be concluded in Superman Son of Kal-El number 9 in March. It's Nightwing's gonna give him a name! Oh my god, that's so perfect! And it's a really, really cool cover. It's the... the the cover by Bruno Redondo, I believe it is, is so cool. Um, it's Nightwing, like, diving off a building and Superman just kind of, like, flying by with him as he dives off. It's really cool. I think this is so, so perfect. And I just wanted to wrap this whole episode up on that high, on that highlight because I think that's going to be such a fun throwback to the history of Nightwing and John's father. I think that's so perfect. And that does wrap up this week's B episode of Sensational She Geek live from Yancey Street. I hope you guys have an excellent weekend. I will be back for another episode on Monday, the 22nd. It's going to be 42A. I will be covering the comic book pull list for the coming comic book week. I'll have my first impressions on Cowboy Bebop, no doubt some news. And maybe I'll finally get a chance to wrap up the Doom Patrol Season 3 and Young Justice Season 4 discussions as wherever they're meant to be at right now. But other than that, have an excellent weekend. Thank you guys for listening, as always. I do appreciate every little bit of effort you put into listening to this podcast and supporting it in whatever form that may be. Um, watch something geeky if you're able to. Read something geeky if you are able to. And try not to step on everybody's toes while you get sweaty about the things that you love. Peace out. <laughs>